Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for a bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Factotum, Jay Carson. Jay, hey, how Mike. are you today? I'm a little under the weather, but uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle through. You, you sounded I, I like that uh, the sort of the show must go on attitude. This is how dedicated Jay is, folks. I think it's impressive. I am, yes. All right. Well, you know it's been a little while since we've done a listener mail comment critique show, and we have uh, uh, more than a few uh, comments, critiques, and questions that have piled up. So uh, if you're ready, Jay, we will get right to it. Fire away. All right. We're starting first with Dylan from Oklahoma, who writes, Hey guys, I've been a patron since last January and I upped my pledge in July. I'm happy to help you guys go ad-free. Put me firmly in the anti-ad camp. Uh, well, Woo-hoo. thank you very much. We appreciate that. Uh, and he writes, I wanted to get your thoughts on the congressional authorization of use for military force. I'm a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom and came away from there a lot less convinced we needed to be there. Military force has a limited benefit, high human cost, blowback, and should be used only when absolutely needed. Used as a scalpel, not a sledgehammer, in other words. But the AUMF is so broad that the president can basically start lobbing sledgehammers at will. Is Congress aware that they have essentially surrendered their constitutionally given right to declare war? If so, why don't they seem eager to reclaim it? At the very minimum, it should be brought back up and reauthorized. The president needs flexibility to respond to immediate threats, but I think the AUMF is far too broad. The world has changed a lot since 2001, and we've learned a lot more about the type of threat we're facing. Surely a better, more tailored authorization with more reasonable oversight can be drafted. Seems like something both sides could get behind to this independent voter, but maybe I'm just optimistic. Keep up the good work. So, Jay, what do you think? This, well, first, first thanks. And that's that's yeah. No, I think that's a really good question. A really good, uh, really good issue. Um, I, you know, I'd, I'd I'd pitch it to you first as someone who you served in the the first Iraq War, um, and I remember there was there was very much a a, a debate then uh, on the the War Powers Act and and can uh, can uh, you know the president simply send in troops, um, but but no, I I think it's. It's one of these things where Congress likes to be able to to declare war in, in wars that uh, they know they'll win or or have won, uh, and likes to be able to wash their hands of it um, if things don't go as well. Uh, so I think that's that's sort of the the struggle that that you have. I I, I absolutely agree. You need to have flexibility uh, in the executive to be able to to deal with threats. Uh, but the the intent has always been, I think, at least recently. That that flexibility. We're not talking about uh, full committing troops to to a lengthy overseas engagement, but rather it's you know authorizing uh, other strikes or or as you said, scalpel type things. That's that's the intent. Um, uh, do is is it going to uh, change anytime soon? I sort of doubt it because as, as you said, will Congress take that power back? I don't know that they want that power back. So. Well, I think if, if you look at the politics of it, it makes a lot of sense why Congress has sort of, uh, as, as Dylan puts it, essentially surrendered their, their right here. When presidents ask for the use of military force, it's in the wake of some sort of major threat. And everyone is very 
freaked out, sometimes, you know, understandably so. And the last thing any member of Congress wants to be accused of is tying the president's hands to respond to this threat to the threat to the country. And so that's why these authorizations are written in such a broad way. I say, well, we just want to make sure that we do anything necessary to, you know, take care of this threat. And Get the bad guys. Yeah. Exactly. And then even years after, because we're still working off of that 2001 AUMF, and no one really wants to go back and say, well, should we now tie the president's hands to, to respond to the threat of terrorism? And that's that's kind of a hard sell. I mean, it's it's probably a slightly easier easier sell for Repub- sorry for Democrats than Republicans, but still, that's one of those issues where it's just going to be very tough to say, you know, to, to get Congress to go along, especially if there is some sort of attack or something like that, and the executive could say, you know, if we had had that authority from Congress, this may not have happened, and that's the last thing any member of Congress wants. Right. All right. Um, moving on, we have Stephen who writes, I just listened to your latest podcast. I wasn't aware so many people from the UK listened to you guys. Uh, neither, neither were we, actually. We think it's great. <laughs> uh, he said, I was wondering if there'd be a way to ask those listeners whether they know of any UK political podcast with a similar format to yours. All I've been oh, wow. able to find are mainstream media produced podcasts from like BBC, Sky, The Guardian, The Times, that sort of thing, or partisan podcasts like The Modcast. I'd love to listen to a UK version of what you guys do. In terms of US political podcasts, yours is the best I found by far. Keep up the amazing work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, we could, Stephen. We could we could do this with like with British accents or something. There I you go. Um, <laughs> But I, I wanted I wanted to read Stephen's uh, uh, letter just so if we have obviously we have a lot of listeners from the UK. So if you know of any podcasts that sort of are like ours but deal with issues that are related to the UK, that please just send us an email, let us know, and I will pass that along to Stephen. I'll actually mention that to, to everyone so people who are interested. And it, in that, that would be totally fun to do a to do an international uh, guest uh, host. That would swap be kind interesting. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. That's a, that's a great idea, Jay. All right. So again, if, if you want to uh, get in touch with us about that, you know how to do it. Mail at politicsguys.com. Next, we have Steve, who uh, is an RN. And Steve writes, I have deeply enjoyed your program over the last three months, finding the constructive and non-threatening, non-divisive dialogue between the left and the right stimulating and engaging. It's a model that our politicians should adopt to foster improved communication instead of regurgitating the same old talking points and avoiding true dialogue. I did have a very strong disagreement with the statement made by Jay Carson regarding, uh-huh. the, yeah, regarding the decision of the doctors in Canada declining a pay raise to shed light on the plight of other healthcare workers. In Canada and the United States, the workloads for nurses have dramatically increased, putting patient safety at risk. This equates to having more patients to manage on a daily basis, often with mandatory overtime. This is due in part to a large number of nurses leaving the profession due to the demands of employers or retiring from the profession at numbers that schools cannot easily replace. Would you recommend a truck driver drive for 24 straight hours because the trucking company is short on drivers? Would Mr. Carson accept 100 new clients or cases knowing he cannot adequately prepare for these cases and leave his clients or cases poorly represented? Would Michael Baranowski accept double the class classes he teach daily, he teaches daily knowing full well he could not educate them effectively? I know that's not a public safety issue, but it's still part of the argument. 
The discussion on healthcare felt unprepared and did not discuss or address the concerns of healthcare workers that are based on the patient's safety or for improving patient outcomes. While I greatly respect the work on the Politics Guys podcast, the hosts always seem prepared for the discussion at hand. I feel the hosts, both of them, missed the point of this debate. Thank you and keep up the good work. So, Jay, uh, uh, what do you think? Uh, he kind of addresses both of us there, but uh, originally you about the doctors in Canada the declining a pay raise and that sort of thing. But it seems like yeah. the main question Steve raises is one about uh, uh, working hours, working conditions, per- perhaps uh, you know, endangering uh, public safety or patient safety in this case. Right. And and to me, I think the point I was trying to make, and, and maybe I, I made it badly, uh, I'm, not, I'm not at all indicating that this isn't a very real problem. Uh, that that you can't get enough people to do these jobs. Uh, my my reason though is is I'm pointing out if you had a more market based system, you could get more people uh, into into these jobs, more uh, more nurses uh, to to deal with these patients, um, and and that's the problem you have when you have a so called free medical system. If you've got uh, you know it's sort of in, infinite uh, demand. Uh, and sort of capped prices, um, you're you're going to you're going to have that squeeze on providers, and and that's that was the point I was trying to make. I wasn't trying to uh, uh, to minimize at all the situation that that these folks are struggling with. Um, but uh, my point was the reason they're struggling with it is is because of its uh, you you know you you've got this this government run type uh, 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 system. And, you know, I would say part of it is, and you'll like this, Jay, part of it is some uh, questionable uh, regula- li- licensing and regulatory practices in the sure. states where they don't allow, and many states don't allow people who aren't uh, MDs to do certain things. Now, that's changing a little bit, but that's something on the right that has been a big issue, and I think uh, rightly so, actually. But And I fundamentally agree with you uh, because the healthcare uh, market is so broken, so anti-competitive in so many ways, and we see this with more and more mergers and things like that, you get some pretty awful outcomes. And when you have a system that's so dysfunctional, uh, especially in certain parts of it, like for instance, uh, the VA medical system, you have some real you know, significant problems with uh, patient care and patient safety and those sort of things. And, and so uh, I think both, both Jay and I agree that the healthcare system needs to be radically changed. We just well, we, we disagree and, fundamentally. And again, no, but, but the Go question, ahead. I mean, we're talking about is is the Canadian healthcare system, right? Um, well, sure. So, I mean, that's that was to, to my point is that that if you don't have the the market incentives, that's what you you end up with. Uh, uh, you get sort of a a group that is is overworked and underpaid. Um, because if, if there's not enough money to attract new people to go into it, uh, or enough money to pay well, uh, the people who are, are serving patients now, uh, you're going to get that, that burnout. So that was, that was the point I was trying to make and uh, not that I'm uh, not diminishing, uh, what, what these folks are doing or going through is actually right. quite the opposite. And that, that, that is where I think you and I disagree, Jay, and that, uh, I, I would say that healthcare uh, will always 
be rationed, uh, especially high-tech, expensive health care. Right now, we ration it in, in a certain large part based on whether or not you have a certain type of job, whether you have uh, the ability to pay. And I think, like a lot of people on the left, I think that is not the that's, right way to ration not, it. But that's not. But that's not rationing. That's sure it is. That's sales. Oh, that's, that's, sales. that's, that's still rationing. Rationing. It's, rationing okay. is when 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 some other authority says you get this much and you get this much. Okay, I'll uh, use a different word. Fair enough. You can say. Fair so. enough. I'll use a different word. Provision based on certain uh, certain characteristics or certain uh, certain things that one may or may not have. I guess, and that's a lot clunkier okay. than rationing. But but fair enough. All right. Moving on, Tanner commented on our website about Trey and Jay's discussion of student protest. And actually, uh, Jay, there were a lot of comments about the student oh, protest. Sure, yeah. you, you got nailed pretty hard there. He wrote, Tanner wrote, go to Chipotle and go home and play Call of Duty. If, if that is all you really want in the younger generation, I honestly just feel bad for you. If all you want for the future of America to be young students partaking in active shooter drills, clapping for police officers and eating Chipotle, no wonder why you find it to be no biggie that the president of the United States is paying off porn stars. Painful episode for Jay, as his true colors were truly showing. Alex Jones is always fishing to find guests. Why not just take your shut up, play video games, and bow down to the police to his show? Go ahead, Jay. I mean, like I said, there were a number of people who uh, expressed some uh, displeasure with the way you approached the student sure. protest. And so I think Tanner's remark was one of the most sort of succinct and, and I think uh, uh, funny, enjoyable ones, at least for me. So I'll let you why, go ahead. Why, and you so down on, why, why are you so down on uh, burritos, Tanner? Um, no, my, my point, and I, I, again, perhaps it was missed, uh, was that <laughs> at least at, at our local school, we had uh, a number of folks who walked out and just went home. Uh, it wasn't a, a and again, this was this was the first walkout before the uh, the the sort of national one uh, that was last uh, last Wednesday, I guess. Um, i'm not I'm not recommending that people um, just walk out and go home. In fact, i was I was recommending quite the contrary uh, when I said doing the active shooter drill and uh, uh, showing appreciation for uh, law enforcement, I think that is a completely appropriate uh, thing to do uh, because it's going to do more uh, for, for, you know, to prevent these kind of things or to uh, make sure we're prepared for them. Um, uh, my, my, my concern, I'm not my concern, my, uh, so much of, of, of what we do in these protests, it's, it's value signaling. It's it's the feel good. Uh, I'm here. I'm for good stuff. Um, uh, but but you know you're not not actually uh, making a difference. Not actually moving the ball. And then again, this is the sort of the irony that uh, Florida adopted much of what the Parkland student agenda had been. They raised the uh, the age for um, uh, buying assault weapons. Uh, there were uh, there have been uh, changes to um, uh, background checks um, at the federal level. Uh, Marco Rubio uh, had taken a lot of steps uh, to uh, improve background checks uh, to allow for uh, better mental health screening to keep people from getting guns. And, and then what these folks came out and said is that he has blood on his hands. Now, again, to me, this is this is just it's it's a a culture of protest and it's it's fundamentally kind of kind of meaningless um and I, I know this this hits a nerve with the left because it's a lot of fun uh to go out there and the wave the signs and, and the yell and f the nra and all that kind of stuff 
and then and then sort of step back and say, oh, I'm 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 being engaged. I'm doing something constructive. Um, no, you're not. You're really not doing something uh, constructive. Um, and, and I think that's that's my point. Is is that when you have these um, uh, again feel good sort of sort of uh, demonstrations. Um, I think people are just fooling themselves, uh, and and it gets to sort of this navel gazing and value uh, signaling and virtue signaling, I should say. Right. Um, now, so now uh, there was one other slightly different take on this from Brian, who wrote in on our comment section, and I won't read the whole thing, but just as as a general sense, I wanted to get your take on this, Jay. Uh, Brian suggested that you seem to be a big fan of the First Amendment, but not in this case so much, only when it has to do with, uh, uh, you know, the, the president or corporations talking about whatever corporations want to talk about. And that while you have in the past said it's kind of not right to show disrespect to someone just because you don't respect their opinion, that you essentially insulted an entire group of young people who were just trying to voice their opinions to sort of, as he calls it, lazy, smug, entitled show ponies, uh, which is a great phrase. Uh, well, I should have thought of that. Yeah. I, um, did, do you want to? Do you want to address especially the First Amendment issue? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've I've got no. Um, here's the thing, and this so often our debates kind of stumble into this. The, well, they have a First Amendment right to do that. Sure, absolutely. And I don't I don't think anyone was questioning. Uh, that you have a First Amendment right to to speak and and uh, march and protest and do all this stuff. Um, my question is the wisdom of it. Um, so I I have I have no issue whatsoever with uh, saying that they have a First Amendment right to. Now there's also a thing of of you may have uh, consequences of if you skip school and and you know you don't get credit for whatever the test you're supposed to have or something. Um, uh, but absolutely, you have a First Amendment right in that no one will arrest you for this. Um, so I, I think we're maybe just just uh, crossing crossing streams there, I guess. Right. So would it be fair to say, Jay, that while you absolutely respect the right of anyone to protest, is it is it fair to say that you don't necessarily respect? the protesters views, but you don't have to respect their views. All you have to do is respect their right to protest. Well, I don't even, I don't even have to respect the right to protest, I guess. I mean, I think okay. it's just, that's the law, you know, I mean, sure. that's, they have a legal right to do that. But you believe in that. Uh, I mean, as, yeah, a, as no, a general principle, yeah. yeah, but you think what, the, uh, but you I, think I don't what think the, anyone, and I don't think anyone uh, is arguing that, that, that should, that right should be taken away. Right. Uh, you, my point just, was yeah. okay. that that the type of of protests uh, that they're engaging in um, is is at, at a certain level uh, kind of shallow, uh, and I don't think is going to going to get anything done. I, let, let me back up. I mean, I guess here's the here's the question: why why are you walking out of school? Right? I mean, what did the schools do wrong? Well, yeah, um, I, I don't think it has anything to do with the schools. It's just a way to make well, but, that but point to draw attention. But I, I and so uh, well, and they, exactly, and that's sort of my my. You know, it back back in the '60s, uh, when you were protesting the draft, people would burn their draft cards. Um, there, there was sort of a when when uh, um, you know you you wanted to uh, get service uh, in a restaurant that was for whites only, you would have a sit-in uh, at the restaurant. Um, so my my point is that you know walking out of school 
if you're mad at the NRA, and again, I don't, I don't know how you get from from A to B uh, to C uh, to say, look, here is a school shooting. Um, you know, I'm mad at the NRA. I'm going to walk out of school. Um, to I, me, that's that's where I, I see this is is just sort of. Um, I, I I and that that certainly is you know the common thing we've heard on the right is this is sort of uh, pointless virtue signaling by well lazy smug entitled show ponies as uh, as uh, Brian. Puts it, I, I see it, obviously, you wouldn't be surprised, uh, very differently. I, I found it uh, inspiring. Uh, it made me feel some hope. Uh, I think what these kids are doing is 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 courageous. I'm, I'm proud of them. And, and sure, a lot of times it might not necessarily, it might not necessarily get them exactly where they want to go. But the fact that they're not just sitting back and doing nothing, that they're trying to make their voices heard and, and illustrate in the most, in the most, uh, in the strongest way possible, how important this is to them. I think that's a, that's a great thing, democracy in action. And I just, I just loved it. All right. Well, okay. I think, I think I said, I think I said before that rebellion is, is very easy to sell to, uh, to the youth. Um, and and I would I would wonder if the the slogans uh, and the signs and so forth that uh, were visible at, at this march if that was grassroots by these kids or if it was uh, if they are being played by uh, activists. Yeah. Just one final thing before we move on uh, on the, this topic. You wouldn't though. I mean, you're not okay with the sort of things that like Laura Ingram did and kind of just taking shots at the kids, basically calling them whiners and all that. Because of course, a lot of advertisers have been you know pulled her pulled from uh, advertising on her show by making kind of a comment about that one of the the lead. People in the, the protest was a was a whiner because he didn't get into some schools that he wanted to get into that sort of thing. I mean, you don't think that's appropriate, do you? Or do you? I don't know. No. Well, I I I'll, I'll tell you. I'll be honest. I I haven't heard what Laura Ingram said or didn't say. Um, as I said, it was kind of a crazy week, and I've been under the weather, so. Um, uh, so I, I can't, you know, I, don't, I can't comment on on what she said as to whiners or, or who she's talking about. My my point though wasn't to criticize um, students or, or any particular person in this, but to to just take a look at the idea of is walking out of school uh, actually a constructive um, right way to okay. to address this as opposed to, to something else. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on from that. Give uh, give give Jay a little bit of, of a break since he is under the weather. Uh, let's go on to Jesse, who writes, uh, congratulations on a very engaging show. I've become a regular listener over the past month or so. I wanted to pass you guys this link, which is a piece I wrote that might have some ideas you may find interesting to bandy around as the Mayish approach of the North Korea talks gets closer. Uh, as you'll read, I'm very much hoping this does not take place. Anyway, it's possible conversational grist. Kudos on your well-informed and refreshingly civil contribution to the discourse. Um, now I read and, and really enjoyed Jesse's article. It's called uh, "Nuclear Jenga in a Bouncy Castle." It was a lot of fun. It was it was interesting, and I think a lot of politics guys listeners will like it too. So I wanted to mention it on the air, and also we'll put a link to it in the notes for today's show. So I think you'll enjoy it. All right, moving on, we have Seth commenting on our Facebook page, writes, I'd like to hear more about Jay's views on the thought of Edmund Burke and his, sorry, and its contemporary application. He uses Burkean a lot, 
and I've not yet heard his own definition thereof. If he's defined it, I apologize. It might have been in one of the few episodes I've missed. So, Jay, now we could both probably take this one, but he, he yeah. specifically addresses it to you, Seth does. So why don't you start and then I'll kind of chime in. I know we talked about this before, but as yeah. this is pretty central to a lot, I think it's been very important in formulating our political thought for both of us. Now, we've gone in different directions, but that's still sort of foundational to both of us. So why don't you start and then I'll kind of take my particular twist on it. Sure. And I, I think what he might be referring to the last... Uh... It was last week or so when we were talking about uh, social media, and I said we needed to sort of come to some sort of Burkean type of type of consensus as to how we deal with this. Um, the, one of of Burke's major uh, premises was that so much of of the way we govern ourselves isn't through a government; it's through uh, traditions and hierarchies, and um, there is a a, a something that's the, an unwritten law of, you know, mm -hmm. you, you don't tug on Superman's cape kind of thing. Um, so, and that in the end, these, these types of, of relationships are, are more flexible, uh, allow for more personal freedom, uh, and can be changed over time. Um, uh, you know, he was of course a big critic of the French revolution, um, really which so. throughout, yeah, which, which, which throughout, uh, so much of, of what had been sort of um, uh, societal traditions just completely out the window. Um, you know, to, to remember, again, if people don't always think of this, I mean, the French Revolution wasn't just a political revolution. It was uh, it was changing politics. It was throwing out, uh, you know, the church. It was it was, you know, against uh, the the. The, the monetary system, the way things things ran there, it was it was a complete revolution. I mean, as compared to the American Revolution, yeah, which was just a hey, British, get out. We want to run things on our own, like we did a hundred years ago. Um, Seriously radical is what it was. I mean, they wanted to yeah. remake society and people and life, and it was a big stinking disaster. And Burke knew it was going to be, and he was right. Right. And you had a whole lot of people who got their heads chopped yeah, off. Exactly. Um, and that was sort of his way. So, I mean, in, in terms of the way we talked about this social media, that's, I think my point I was trying to make there was this is one of these things where it's so new, we haven't sort of created a, those unwritten rules of how we deal with this. And, uh, uh, what, what we, we, we do with this. Um, so that was kind of how I was, Used Burkean in that sense uh, last week, but but generally when I I talk about uh, Burke, it is it is to look at that um, idea of of you are governed less by your government and more just kind of by your your society or culture. Right, and and I you know I'm I'm Burkean in that sense as well. I think anyone who has been involved in an organization trying to codify things to make rules finds out fairly quickly that one of the problems with that is so many of these things that we do and know, when you try to put them in legislative kind of specific language, number one, it's very hard. And number two, you can think of a thousand loopholes. And so actually making something, putting something down like that can actually take a situation and make it a lot 
worse. Uh, and now that's, the, that would be my argument often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've seen that in, in practice. Now, I've never been in, I've never been in an elective office, but I've been in, involved, deeply involved in university politics. And let me tell you, that's very often the case. And I know that it's like that from people who are in the, you know, in the uh, larger political world. And so I certainly agree with that. That, that being said, you know, the other side of it is that we do need certain rules and certain things written, if not in stone, certainly, you know, etched pretty strongly to protect, I think, uh, vulnerable groups and other things like that. And I think the debate is over how much of that do we need. And if you try, if you go too far in one direction or the other, you run into some problems. Now, with the situation with Facebook, I think one of the problems and with a lot of groups, this will maybe uh take me off into kind of a, a an economic policy sort of argument or, or what have you, is that in an ideal world, uh, there wouldn't be these huge network effects and there would be robust competition for social media. And so if someone like, you know, if a group like or sorry, a company like Facebook was engaged in practices that were, you know, uh, that, a, that a large percentage of the public objected to, they could easily and frictionlessly move to another network. But of course, mm -hmm. that's not how it is. And and this is, you know, I, I've actually wanted to get someone on the show to talk about this. You know, both both you and I, Jay, I think agree that uh, a competition, healthy competition, robust competition is essential for uh, in, in our society. And it's a it's just a, almost an unalloyed good in many in many instances. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, though, we're seeing the decline of competition, which is which can be very problematic. And it's for various reasons. You know, maybe it's Facebook has you locked into a social network and there aren't any good alternatives or Amazon has you locked into their, you know, buy now Amazon Prime sort of network. And so when you don't have those alternatives, it can be very difficult to sort of make the sort of non-law-based uh, 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 change and kind of punish them that way. And so you need things like antitrust laws and other things in, in those instances. But that's kind of another argument. I know I've kind of gone far afield, but I'm, I guess with all this stuff going on with Facebook and so forth, I've been thinking about it an awful lot. Yeah, so. I would say, I mean, the, the, the criticism of, of a lot of, you know, Burkean thought would be that uh, not all traditions are good. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's something else I think that you, you, you deal with some, uh, um, you know, some of the ideas of, of how we ran society 50, 60 years ago, uh, were not good. Uh, and it's good that they've changed. Now, again, the, the, the Burkean approach would be the better way to, to have this changed, uh, is by sort of a slow moving, um, uh, you know, heart winning hearts and minds, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and to me, the fact that, you know, let's talk about something like, uh, you know, racism, uh, the fact that in our society now, uh, one of the worst things you can be called is a racist, uh, that is sort of Burkeanism in action, uh, if you will, uh, that that carries a stronger, uh, uh, social, um, uh, sting, uh, than any sort of, um, uh, you know, statute or, or something like that. So that's, I guess that, that would be a good example of, uh, of how I see a Burkean sort of view. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, uh, uh, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that sort of thing. And, and I think really one of the, what's great about democracy when it hasn't been hijacked by, by various interests and so forth, that's another issue is that, 
it sort of helps to promote this sort of thing. There's a natural tension between the advocates of staying with the, the tried and true and traditional and the people who say, hey, this needs to change. And, and we shouldn't shy away from that tension, but that doesn't mean we should demonize our opponents who are slightly on the other side of one of those views, whether it's, you know, whether it's, I don't know, medical marijuana or whether it's uh, gun laws or something like that. That's how we move forward by respectfully engaging with people whose views that we may not share because they are more traditionalist or more progressive than we are. And that's the sort of thing I'd like to think that we promote on the show. Yep. All right. Finally, we have Alex also commenting on our Facebook page. He writes, why is flip-flopping considered bad? I recall talking about this quite a bit in my political science classes and how it's gotten a negative vibe to it. It dawned on me when I changed my mind on the corporate tax cuts. I think that's a great question, uh, Alex. And I think to me, the answer lies in what we mean by flip-flopping. Now, if by flip-flopping you mean changing a view based on political expediency, that's why it's bad, because you're saying basically, I'm right. going to go in this direction, not out of principle, not because I've examined the issues and I've realized that I was wrong or I needed just to adjust things, but because that's where the public is going on this or some group to, whose support I want. That kind of right. flip-flopping is absolutely bad. I think, you know, it, it, it's obvious why it is. I was for the war before I was against you know, it. No, exactly. But the kind of flip-flopping that isn't bad, it's sometimes hard to distinguish, is sometimes people's views change. It does happen. You know, like, for instance, you mentioned, Alex, on corporate tax cuts. And what's difficult for policymakers, for elected officials, is if they actually are in that sort of position where their views have, and they use this word, and I hate the word, but sometimes it's, it's worth using, evolved over time, if that's a genuine, you know, of uh, evolution, well, how do they how do they make it clear that that's it is a genuine evolution and not the result of political expediency? Because you know their opponents are going to be saying that, and that's the problem. Because to know why a politician's views have changed, in in you know, in some sense, you have to get inside their head. Though there are some indicators. I mean, if they change very quickly. You might want to wonder about that if they change in response to some big thing that happened in public opinion, or if they change in a way that doesn't seem to necessarily benefit them politically, you might want to consider that that's a legitimate sort of change. So that's my take on it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, It's just a matter of when you consider the way uh, we have elections and the way our, our government works, it's based on people get up there and they make uh, statements and they take votes and those are recorded. And, you know, what you do is you look at, okay, how did this guy vote before? Uh, now he's, he's changing his vote. Uh, is this someone who is, is reliable or is it someone who just has finger in the wind uh, uh, type thing? And on some, on some issues, you know, with particularly certain special interest groups, um, uh, if you are seen as, as flip-flopping on, on, you know, for example, Second Amendment stuff on abortion. I mean, those are those are big um, litmus test issues, obviously, for a lot of voters um, that can be uh, that can be problematic. And it, it's just the nature of, of the way we run our campaigns is, uh, look, you, you compare the voting record with what he says he's going to do next or, you know, what the later voting record was. So I'm trying to think of, of uh, politicians who who evolved successfully. It's difficult on that. 
it's difficult to find that. I think you'd have to, you know, I have to give it some thought. But uh, but yeah, most of the time when we think about this sort of thing, we, we think about, you know, for instance, uh, you know, President Obama, uh, who whose view on gay marriage evolved. I don't think it evolved. I think he was a pretty strong it was the same proponent. All along. Yeah. He just didn't, he just didn't uh, voice it. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. and the argument you can make is, well, if I voiced this, it might make things actually worse for the cause I believe in. So therefore, and, you know, that that's a, a reasonable political consideration. Uh, but of course, then you're, you know, subject to that claim of, of kind of political expediency flip-flopping. So, all right. Well, that does it for this episode. Uh, Jay, feel better. Right, thanks. Uh, and thanks. thanks, everyone out there for listening. We do hope you like what you heard. You know, listener support is what keeps the show going. We really do appreciate it. And so if you'd like to help us out, go to politicsguys.com slash support. That's a direct link. Or you can just go to politicsguys.com and look for the Patreon or PayPal links or the support link when you'll find there. Subscribing to the show also really does help, as does sharing episodes. Maybe you've heard you know, Jay's comments today on, on uh, a millennial protest and think, oh, God, you've got to send this to someone and just what an awful person Jay is. Or maybe say, you know, Jay's actually got a great point. Either way, we really would appreciate it if you share this, if you feel strongly about it. It's easy to do right there in your podcast app. There's that little share symbol. Just click on it and boom, there you go. Also, leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes is a big help. If you want to get in touch with us, mail at politicsguys.com. There's also our Facebook page where you can message us and where we post stuff all throughout the week. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.